you go to the store to buy a new Bible, and you quickly realize that buying a new Bible is about as complicated as buying a new vehicle. There's so many options. They come in different sizes, different shapes, some are thicker than others, some are really cheap, some are really expensive. But not only that, the wording in one Bible seems to be quite different than the wording in another Bible. There's so many translations. Maybe the translation you own isn't the same one that your pastor uses on Sunday morning. So you're wondering to yourself, which one do I use? Which one do I read? Which one do I use for my devotions? Which one do I bring to church? Well, these are the questions that we will be answering in this podcast episode. Hi, and welcome to the How to Read the Bible podcast series, a podcast series designed to help you grow in your knowledge and desire for reading the Bible. Hi, my name is Adam Beyer, and thank you for tuning into the How to Read the Bible podcast series. In our podcast series so far, we've addressed the question of why do I read my Bible? And we explained how in reading the Bible, we get God's heart, we get God's perspective, and that ultimately in that, it benefits our lives. And second to that, we talked about how the Bible is true. And so we read the Bible because it's true and because we want to be a people who live and walk in truth. And so we go to the Bible as the source for that. In our last episode, we began to answer our second question, which is, what is the Bible? And we honed in on this idea that the Bible is not just one book, Rather, it's 66 books brought together to make this one book. It's a compilation of sorts. And because it's a compilation, we had to look at the process of, well, what made it so that these 66 books were considered scripture, considered authoritative? And so I talked with my good friend, Zach Ward, and we discussed this whole idea of the canonization of scripture and this process of bringing the books together. Well, I want to continue answering this question of what is the Bible by talking about the whole issue of Bible translation. And Bible translation is incredibly important because there's this reality that when we pick up our Bibles and start reading them in English, we're not reading the Bible in the original language that it was written in. Which means that a translator has come along and he's worked with the original language and he's translated it into English. You know, imagine yourself going to hear a speaker at a church who doesn't speak English, but you've heard about him and you're excited to hear their message. So you go to this church and this person, let's say they're speaking in German, and you sit down and you're ready to hear this the speaker. You look over and you see standing next to him is a translator. Now for you to be able to say with any degree of confidence that you've actually heard that speaker, you have to trust the translator. You have to trust that the person who's up on stage next to this speaker is translating from German into English the, the same words, the same meaning of that speaker. Because if that translator was just making up his own words, just saying his own thing, well, you're not actually getting the message of the speaker. So the responsibility on the translator is huge. Because for us to be able to take our English Bibles and say, man, this is the Word of God. And for us to be able to say that with confidence, we have to trust that the translators have done their diligence and and done the hard work to bring us God's word the best that they could, translating it from the original languages into English. And this process of translation has happened so many times. I went on to BibleGateway.com this past week, and I, I went to look and see how many English versions of the Bible they have available on their website. And they have 60 different translations of the Bible available on their website. 60. 
That's a ton of translations. It's no wonder that buying a Bible for some reason feels very similar to having to buy a car. There's so many different things to choose from, so many different translations to choose from. So let's talk a bit about translation and hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll feel a bit more equipped in choosing a Bible translation. Now, all Bible translators are are working really hard at, at translating the Bible from the original languages into English. The two primary original languages that they're interacting with is Hebrew and Greek. We understand that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We understand that most of the New Testament was written in Greek. We also have some trans, uh, some manuscripts that have been found where it's been written in Aramaic. And we even have English versions of the Bible that have been translated from um, Latin translations of the Bible. So you have the Bible translated from Greek into Latin into English. So lots of translation at work in, theirs, in those situations. And I could say a lot about the science around uh, Bible translation, around something called textual criticism, um, which is this idea of, of going over the original language manuscripts and, and making decisions about those and all of these different things. Um, but I'm not going to get into that except to say that, that it is indeed a science and that the translators and the scholars who are working to translate the Bible from the original languages into English are, are working on teams that none of them are just working by themselves. Um, and so in the context of these teams and in the context of the scientific process, they're, they're bringing us our English translations. And there's lots you could read about this, and I encourage you to do so if it's a topic that interests you. But for the purposes of this podcast episode, I really want you to go away feeling equipped, uh, knowing a bit more about translation. And I think a good place for that to start for you is to take the Bible that you do have, open it up to the very beginning, that is before the book of Genesis, and there should be a preface in there that kind of outlines a bit of the guiding principle that the team of translators would have used to translate your specific Bible. Um, and, and when we start looking into Bible translation, we, we begin to see that the translators use um, a certain guiding principle as they approach translation. And that guiding principle, it's going to fall along a spectrum. Now, the technical terms for this spectrum, on one end, we have something called formal equivalence. On the other end, we have something called functional equivalence. And, and what those two things mean on the formal side, it's basically to say that the, the Bible, the way that they've translated it, is to try to be as word for word as possible. So this is taking the original Greek or the original Hebrew and, and working with it in such a way to bring it as word for word into the English. Now, what happens when you do this is you end up with very clunky English because there's something that we call historical distance between us and the original language and the original audience of those original texts. So what happens is we go to read some of these word-for-word Bibles and we might find it quite difficult. And what I mean by that is when you pick up these translations, you might find yourself reading over a verse several times and you, you read it once and go, huh, what does that mean? You read it twice and it might take you a bit to go, oh, okay. And the reason that is, is because when you translate word for word, the English translation that you end up with just isn't a lot like the way that you would talk to a friend. It's not, it doesn't sound like the English that we would use out in the street, the way that we put our words together. It's just a little bit different. And again, that's because of this whole reality of historical distance. So the word for word translations, they have a lot of amazing applications. They're really good for a lot of things. Uh, some examples of that is the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible, 
or the ESV, the English Standard Version. So these, both of these translations of scripture, they work hard to be word for word. But again, um, I find that they are a little bit clunky to read, a little bit more difficult. Now, if we go back down to the other end of the spectrum, we come to something called functional equivalence. Now, unlike word for word, uh, they also are recognizing that there's historical difference, but they're working hard to communicate the meaning of the Greek and the Hebrew. And in communicating the meaning, sometimes they're sacrificing the original form of the text. But what we end up with is a translation that's a lot easier to read. And we end up with a translation that you're, you're likely not having to reread a verse over and over again to try to understand what it means because it's been translated into English in such a way um, that it is more conversational in nature. It, it is more represent. It represents better the way that we would put words together in a conversation that we would have with a friend. So, therefore, it's a bit easier for us to understand. A couple of examples of this is the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, or the NIRV, which is the New International Reader's Version of the Bible. And so both of these would be good to even give to a child to read because they would quickly be able to understand what it's saying because the translation is more represent more representative of the way that we talk uh, day to day. Now, in between these, we have something we might call intermediate. So it's not strictly word for word. It's not meaning for meaning, but it's almost more thought for thought. But it comes between the two. And so it's seeking and, and desiring to retain both the form and the function of the original language. So it's literal, yet appropriate to our English speaking. And the, the best example of this is probably the NIV, the New International Version. So the New International Version works hard to maintain form and function. And so that's kind of an introduction to the spectrum. Again, there's a lot more to be understood about it. But on one end, we have word for word or formal equivalence. On the other, functional equivalence, more meaning for meaning. And in the middle, we have that intermediate or more thought for thought translation that's working to maintain both form and function. Now, if we go even further down the spectrum past functional equivalence, we run into something called a paraphrase. Now, Eugene Peterson's The Message is an example of this. And what the message has done is that it's, it's looked at the whole issue of historical distance and it's, it's basically tried to um, eliminate as much of the historical distance as possible. And the result of that is that he's looking at, okay, what is the message of the original text and how do I say that in the most ordinary, normal way that we would say that today in our modern English? Another way that Eugene Peterson identifies it is by saying that he's translated the Bible from the original text into street language. So, so it's a really common language. Now, the issue with something like the message, um, when we again, we go back to this whole idea that the Bible is true. The issue with the message is that when you eliminate all of that historical distance, you end up with, yes, a, a translation that's maybe easier, easier to understand, but the, the issue with it is that Eugene Peterson is bringing a lot of his own thought or a lot of his own interpretation into that translation method. Um, and there are some issues with that. There's times when you're reading the message where you're going to see um, maybe more of Eugene Peterson's thought on a text or his thought on what the text originally meant than maybe what it was. Now, that's not always the case. Um, I think Eugene Peterson has done a pretty good job but it is uh, important for us to read it with a bit of caution and to always be going back to uh, some of our other translations. 
So how does all of this play out? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16-17, and we'll read it in several translations. Let's start off with the formal equivalence. So this is 2 Timothy 3.16-17 in the English Standard Version, so more of a word-for-word translation. And it reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, that's fairly easy to understand. We might read that and want a bit of explanation on it. So let's go to the other end of the the spectrum to our functional equivalents, and we'll read from the New Living Translation. And it reads like this, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we were wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do very good work. So you can see how different those two translations are. Um, Both of them have been translated from the Greek into the English, um, but we have in the New Living Translation almost a bit more of an explanation added to this translation. Now, what about the intermediate? Well, the intermediate in this case actually reads a lot more like the ESV. So here is the NIV. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So again, it's, it's a bit more like the English Standard Version in this case, um, and, but it, it's a little bit clearer than the English Standard Version, but it doesn't go on to explain it quite as well as the New Living Translation. So we're seeing the difference between form and function. Let's go even further down the functional uh, line to the message. And let's read what uh, Eugene Peterson wrote in his paraphrase. And it reads, Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. So you can see there that, again, it's, it's very, it's explained. So we're not just dealing with the word-for-word uh, translation of the Greek, but there's a, almost a bit of explanation put in there, and that's to, again, compensate for this historical distance that we have. So hopefully that helps. We can kind of look at this passage through um, in these four different translations, and we see that they are indeed different, but at the end of the day, it is God's Word, and we need to trust that it's God's Word. You know, a lot of people get kind of thrown off with this whole idea of translation. It's like, can I trust that I'm actually reading the words of God? And I think we can trust our scholars. We can trust our translators. So I've talked a lot about translation, but I haven't actually answered the question of, well, which translation do I choose? Now, I'm not someone who would ever say, hey, there's only one translation that you should be working with, and that one is way more superior than another. In fact, I see that most translations are of benefit to us. Um, and, and that's where I would kind of start is, you know, if, if there is a translation maybe you grew up reading um, that's really familiar to you, that's a great thing. You might want to just keep reading that translation. You know, if you're standing at that bookshelf, um, pull a couple books off the shelf, um, read through different passages that are familiar to you, and just see which one strikes you. Which one do you enjoy reading? You know, ultimately, if our goal is to be people who are reading the Bible, it should be um, smart of you to choose a translation that you actually enjoy reading. So that's a great place to start. 
But beyond that, I like to look at translations um, as different tools. You know, I'm a carpenter by trade, so if someone were to ask me to come to a job at their house, I'm going to go to that job, I'm going to look at the job, and I'm going to say, okay, which tools do I need to complete this task that they're asking me to do? And having answered that question, I'm going to go back to my toolbox and I'm going to get the tools that I need to do the job. And Bible translations can act like a, a box of tools. That when we define our goal and our purpose in, in what we want to read the Bible for, we can go back to the translations and say, okay, this one might be better for this application or that one. You know, a few examples of this. If your goal is Bible memorization, you're going to want to choose a translation that's comfortable for you, one that you're familiar with, one that's not difficult to read, because if it's difficult to read, it's going to be difficult for you to memorize it. You know, I would recommend the New Living Translation as a great translation to use for Bible memorization. And the reason for that is that the English that um, they're translating the Bible into is more the, the way that we would talk to our friends. So it's more conversational. And in being more conversational, it will likely be a bit more easy for you to remember. You know, if your goal is to be getting up really early every day to read your Bible and you're still a little groggy while you're waking up, again, you're going to want to choose something that is easier for you to read. So um, going to some of those formal equivalence translations like the NASB or the ESV might not be the best idea for early morning devotions. And the reason for that is because if every sentence you have to stop and reread it to try to understand what it's saying, uh, that's kind of defeating the point of reading your Bible. But something again like the NLT or even the NIV, the New International Version, might be way more helpful to you early morning because you don't necessarily have to reread a sentence over and over again to figure out what it's saying. Now, if you're wanting to do an in-depth study of Scripture and really just get into the Word and, and kind of mine the different verses uh, and just have fun looking at Scripture, I would recommend using more of a word-for-word -word or formal equivalence uh, translation. So again, examples of that is the New American Standard version, um, as well as the English Standard Version, and that in these texts, again, with this word-for-word -word going on, um, them recognizing that there's a historical distance, but trying to stay as true to the form as they can, uh, you get translations that um, you're going to get word repetition and different things that might be lost in some of the other translations. A quick example of that is from Genesis chapter 22. Uh, when I was in Israel, I was hearing a devotional taught on Genesis 22, and the thrust of the devotional was that Abraham was available not only to God, but also to his son, and they see this expressed in his phrasing, here I am. So at the beginning of the chapter, God calls out to Abraham, he says, here I am. Uh, in the middle of the chapter, Isaac calls out to his father, he says, father, and Isaac replies, here I am, in the same way he replied to God. Then right when Abraham's about to uh, drive the knife into Isaac and there's this tension there. The angel cries out to Abraham and Abraham responds, here I am. Now I remember at this time I'm reading my NIV and the person who's teaching is, is teaching out of a NASB and um, I'm not getting this application point. I'm not seeing it in my Bible because the NIV did not translate the Hebrew word Hineni into here I am in all three cases. It was a little bit different. So I lost a bit of that. Now, is this a, a huge deal? Should I not read the NIV? No, no. The NIV is, is good. It's beneficial. Um, but for this type of an in-depth study or seeing these types of things like repetition, 
a word-for-word translation uh, would tend to be better. And so there's lots of options uh, for translations for you to choose. Sometimes it's good, too, to just choose a translation that your church is using. You know, at my church, at Terwilliger Community Church, uh, we're not very picky about Bible translation. On any given Sunday, you might hear a sermon preached out of the New Living Translation, the New International Version, or even the ESV, the English Standard Version. Our children's ministry uses the New International Reader's Version. Uh, So there's all sorts of different translations being used at our church on a Sunday. You know, and sometimes it's good to switch up your translation just to keep it fresh. You know, if you've always read through the same translation year after year, uh, it might be good to read those familiar passages with slightly different wording. You might notice something that you missed before. So I really hope that you've come to understand Bible translation a bit more than you did before. Again, it's, it's a huge world and the topic of Bible translation. There's a lot involved in bringing the Bible from the original languages into English. But I hope you don't feel quite as overwhelmed standing, staring at all these different types of Bibles, uh, wondering which one you should read. Again, define your goal, figure out what's the purpose of why am I reading the Bible, uh, and then you can choose your translation and go from there. Well, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you were encouraged and blessed by this idea of Bible translation. Next week, we begin to answer the main question for this podcast series, which is how do I read my Bible? We've looked at the why do I read my Bible? We've looked a bit at what is the Bible? And now we're going to get into our big question, how do I read my Bible? So please subscribe to this channel, share it with a friend, or check in week after week for the latest episode. Our music for this podcast series is provided by the Hopeful Sun Worship Collective, and you're listening to their song, Opening Up. We'll catch you next time.